As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we pray that you would pour grace in this place so that hearts that are so self-centered would turn its gaze upon the beauty of the Lord at this time. And that we would speak to our souls, why are you cast down? Put your hope in God and we would command and summon our inner man to hope in the Lord for all the days of our lives. That we would know that our place as sons and daughters is not a place of depression or despair, but one of great hope and gladness and joy for all of our days. That that is the proper posture and heart for every child of God, because you, God Almighty, are our Father, our Savior, and our friend. So God, through the power of your truth today, summons the hearts and souls of men and women here to hope and to be glad in you. That we would leave this place filled with joy, the joy of salvation and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And God, let that be the mark of the people of God in this place always. Because God, with you, there is always a brighter future in store. By your sovereign, strong hand, you will lead us beside streams of still waters that you will make us lie down in green pastures so that our souls will find rest in God alone. So I pray for that rest to happen even now. That we would lay our burdens down. We would give you our worries and concerns because you care for us. So encourage and strengthen your children here today, God. In Jesus' name. You know, Jonathan Edwards was one of the greatest pastors and theologians to come out of the U.S., and uh, though he lived a few hundred years ago, his writings and his teachings, they still are widely read even today, and he was a significant uh, person that God used to bring about the great awakening within North America a few hundred years ago. Throughout his life, uh, he wrote uh, many sermons uh, and various other writings, but also he is famous for writing 
uh, his list of resolutions, actually 70 resolutions, that uh, he wanted to keep at the forefront of his life and say, you know what, I'm going to commit to live my life in this way so that my life will bring honor to the name of Jesus in every sphere that I can think of. And so he made this list as God convicted him throughout the journey of his faith. And there are two resolutions in particular that I want to read for you today that gives us insight as to how he strived to live a life that honored God. The first resolution I want to read for you is resolution number six, uh, which states, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Uh, He wanted to truly live life and life to the full each day. Uh, Just as some uh, famous movies might say, you know, all men die, but not all men truly live. And I think that is a reflection of the truth that Jonathan Edwards was getting towards, is that he doesn't want to just waste his days. He doesn't want to let days just pass by as long as I'm alive right now. Because did you realize that the only moment that you could really live in your life is right now? A lot of us, we like to live in the past. A lot of us, we like to live in the future by our planning. We live in regret of what we did yesterday. We live in anticipation because of what might come tomorrow, but that's not living. True life only happens right now. And so he has resolved himself right now, this moment, the only time that I can really live, I want to make sure that I'm truly alive to God and for God. Amen? That's a good resolution. But then... Three resolutions later, uh, again, that's a good thing that we want to live fully today, and we should, that now we see how he strived to live in this manner. Resolution number nine states, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Interesting. So he Resolved to live fully today while I am alive. And how did he do that? He says, I resolved also to think often of my death. What's the connection there? He thought about his end because when you understand that life is short and finite and we will enter in eternity with the eternal one one day, That will give you wisdom as to how we are to live now. You see, there is wisdom that comes when we live with the end in mind. Amen? Amen. Now, practically, how can we do this? Um, That's what I want to guide us through today, through our passage in James. Turn with me to James chapter 4, starting from verse uh, 13. And we continue our study through the book of James today as we strive to gain wisdom uh, from learning to live with the end in mind. So what's the first thing we need to do to properly gain this kind of wisdom as we live with the end in mind? Uh, Follow along with me in your outline as well. And there's a few things that I want to highlight. And the first thing that we need in order to gain wisdom to live properly as we live with the end in mind is we need to learn how to plan in light of eternity. So everyone repeat, plan in light of eternity. 
So we know how to plan our days. We know how to plan for tomorrow, but we need to learn how to do it in light of the eternity that we will face. James chapter 4, verse 13 and following says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So he says, why are you planning all this time? Today, tomorrow, we're going to do this, 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 this. When you do not realize that life is so short. Now, James is not rebuking them for planning. I want to be clear on that from the get-go. Planning is a good thing. In fact, God plans. God planned the whole story of salvation and redemption before the foundation of the world. So planning is not the issue per se. They're rebuked for planning their life as if God did not exist. Look at verse 13 again. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade, and you know what? We're going to make some money along the way too. We're going to make a profit. And so verse 13's attitude is, I'm going to travel and do whatever I want with my life. It's my life. I'm going to do what I want with it. Today or tomorrow, I'll go to this town. I could plan my life and its future because I'm going to live a long life. I'm going to spend a year there. And I will profit. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to do well. Just work hard. You can achieve your dreams. Sounds nice. But there is no thought or mention or consideration of God. They are planning their lives without any thoughts of God in it. You see, many Christians plan their lives and their futures like an atheist, as if God does not exist when it's planning time. This was my life growing up. I am a planner by nature. Uh, in sixth grade, I kid you not, I planned my whole life already. Uh, my classmates, because we're finishing up elementary school, you know, grade six, uh, we're getting ready to go to junior high. All my classmates, they were talking about, oh, man, I wonder what junior high is going to be like. I was worried about what college I was going to get into. Uh, and so in sixth grade, I planned uh, what college I wanted to go to, my major, my job, how, what age I'd get married, the number of kids I was going to have, the age of my retirement, and where I would retire. I was a little bit of a messed up kid. All right? <laughs> it got so bad that in seventh grade, when I entered junior high, uh, I would sometimes wake up late at night worried about my future. Uh, and I remember calling my youth pastor one time at like 5 a.m., asking him to pray for me because I was worried about, what if I don't get into the college that I really want to go to? Because that's going to change my whole plans. He didn't appreciate that phone call very much. I was a messed up kid. Uh, and early on in my ministry years as well, again, because by nature, I'm a planner. Even when I first entered ministry, I would plan out five, seven years in advance, my sermon series, ministry ideas, all these things. And God had to kill that side of me because I was planning just like an atheist. I had my plans, my goals, my agenda, my dreams, but God was never part, was never part of that process. You see, it is a peculiar thing to be a Christian claiming Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives 
and we keep him out of our plans and our futures. A very peculiar thing that runs rampant in our generation. So when you thought about your jobs, your majors, your schools, your career changes and choices, where was God in the planning process? Other Christians, they like to plan their lives like an atheist without a thought of God until they're finished making their plans and then say, here, God, bless my plans. Make it happen. Okay, God, okay, so I, I want to go to this school. I want to major in this, and then I need to get a job into this city, and I want to be married by this age and do all these things. And oh, yeah, I'm okay, God. I, I'm okay with living and working in Korea, USA, Canada, maybe Australia, but not the Middle East, not Africa. Okay, God, okay, God? Bless it, Lord. Make it happen. You are the Lord of my life. And if you don't, I'm going to be mad at you. <laughs> wait, wait. I'm sorry. Who's God and who's creature? Who's Lord and who's servant? I, I, I feel it. Some of you are saying, Eddie, I don't plan. And uh, that's another sermon for you on another day. That's right. <laughs> But James is referring to those of us who like to plan our futures, but what he is calling that is actually a form of human arrogance when we do not include the Lord in that process. Assuming that things will go our way, assuming that we will even have tomorrow, but you see that is arrogance in the eyes of God. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You see, people of faith realize that we may not have tomorrow and that each day is a gift of His grace. James 4.14 also says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow may be, may, will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Saying life is so short in light of eternity that your life compared to eternity is like a vapor. It is like a mist. Life is short and it must be lived in light of eternity. Our plans must be made in light of eternity. Because the small choices that we make will impact eternity. It will impact our eternal residence, where we will spend all of eternity, and it will impact our eternal reward, how we will enjoy our eternity. That is the big difference between those who understand how our choices today impact eternity and those who do not. You see, uh, I want to illustrate it to you like this one more time. I don't know if you could see it, but there is actually a line behind me. Okay? And so this line, if you guys can see this yarn, I'll shake it so you can see a little bit. Uh, let's say that this represents eternity. Okay, so from beginning to end, this is all of eternity past and eternity present. It goes for a long time. But what you also need to understand, what James is saying, you need to understand how to see your life in light of eternity. And compared to that, the maybe 80 years that we may be fortunate enough to live, compared to that, that is just a dot. Okay, so here's a dot. All right? That is our life. In the light of all of eternity, let's have this represents our time here on earth. And so these 
50, 60, 70, 80 years that we may be fortunate enough to live, that we think that that is everything. And so we invest everything into the now, the here and now, thinking that this is what matters. Only now I got to spend money, make money, get a girl, get a guy, and live for the here and now. And so we don't understand that the choices that we make in this short period affects our eternity. The choices that we make here and now, it affects our eternal residence and our eternal reward forever. And for so many people, because we think that these 80 years are the only thing that we need to live for, we make a lot of foolish mistakes. But it takes wisdom to see the choices that we make today in light of eternity to give us godly wisdom to make the right choices in light of the bigger picture. And the most important choice that we make in this short life is whether to trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ and whether we declare the gospel to those who do not know him. These choices will impact all of eternity. Amen? It is crucial for us to see the proper role of our days here, that it still impacts forever. So how should we plan in light of eternity? Yes, pray. Seek the Lord, Lord in the place of prayer. Be familiar with the Word of God so that the Word of God will wash you and give you wisdom as you think through the issues and the plans of your lives. Wash your mind and your heart with the power of the Word. Then plan. Use your mind and the wisdom gained through a life of living and interacting with the Lord. Plan, but always leave room for God to change those plans at any time. And then you walk out in faith and obedience and live for the Lord with all your heart. You plan in light of eternity. You see, during my college years, that's when God needed to intercept my atheistic planning mentality of planning my next 50 years of my life. He divinely orchestrated great pain, suffering, rejection, and difficulty in such a way that suddenly all of my future plans crumbled in my hands and I could no longer plan my tomorrow the way that I wanted to. He broke me to the point of making me fall on my knees and surrender my future to him. And it was through that point that he started redirecting my life in a path that became far better than whatever I could have imagined by my own finite imagination. And so when we allow God to come into our plans, those plans will be far greater than any plans that we could formulate on our own. So trust in Him. He has a good plan for your life. Trust in Him. Bring him into the forefront of your praying, your planning, your living, and your life. Amen? That is wisdom. Do not go the way of the fool. Do not walk the path of the atheist. The fool says there is no God. The fool says there is no God. God, 
So do not be a fool when you plan your days as if there is no God. Let him lead. Follow in faith, and it will be the best path you could ever take. Amen? So that is the first insight that we learn here, that we need to learn how to plan in light of eternity, not just plan our own lives. There's another thing that we learn here, and that is to truly live with the end in mind and to gain wisdom from it. It also means we need to live in light of God's sovereignty. So everyone repeat, live in light of God's sovereignty. All right, so we plan in light of God's um, eternal perspective that he allows us to see in, and then we live in light of God's sovereignty through it all. James 4, 15 and following, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So he says, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So this is about recognizing God's sovereignty over all the details of our lives. Every moment of our lives is under the sovereign control of God's hand. That is a hard truth to swallow. But it is truth. There is nothing in the world that happens that surprises God. There is nothing in the world that happens that frustrates God. Because frustration has to do with things not going the way that I wanted or the way that I planned. God is never frustrated. For he is in control. Even things that others meant for evil, God can use it for good. Everything is under the sovereign authority of God. Every birth, every death, every disease, every healing, every crucifixion, every resurrection, every season of barrenness, and every season of fruitfulness. Everything is under the authority and sovereignty of God Almighty. Everything. And He is forever good, forever working out His ultimate purposes, even in the midst of our pain. You know, I read in the paper just yesterday that the elderly in Korea are going through a serious crisis concerning suicides. For every 100,000 people in Korea, those in their 20s, teens, 20s, you might have about 10 to 20 uh, suicides for every 100,000, but now for the elderly, there are over 100 suicides for every 100,000. That's about 11 suicides per day amongst the elderly. And so it is crucial for us as a church to be aware of this so that we pray for the elderly, but also we understand the value of ministering to the elderly. We have an outreach every month that I encourage you to be a part of at least once for you to see if God is calling you into this arena. Uh, but for those of us who are wrestling with similar issues of despair and despondency, you need to understand that in light of God's sovereignty, if you are alive another day, it is because God is not finished with you yet. 
He has a plan for your life. And so you trust him. And we need to speak this truth, this life, this love to the elderly of this nation as well. Amen? And we must live in light of God's sovereignty over all the events of our lives, knowing that our lives are completely in the hands of the Lord. James 4.15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, we hear people use this phrase a lot, out of obedience and specifically because of this passage, saying, Lord willing, you know, I'll see you next summer or whatever. So is the application then just to add this phrase into our vocabulary? Lord willing, I want to go to Disneyland. Lord willing, is that, is that the application here? No. This is not a magic formula of words, but a heart attitude of trusting in the sovereignty of God over all the events of our lives. So it would be like this, Lord willing, the heart behind it, if God in his sovereignty would allow it, We'll visit Isan, Thailand early next year for the opening ceremony of our ministry center that we started and the team is setting up right now. We prayed, yes. We planned, yes. But we also know that only God holds tomorrow in his hands. The Lord Almighty has the final say because he is Alpha Omega, but also he is Alpha, but also he is Omega. He is the beginning, but also he is the final word as well. That yes, we're planning for next year's ministry events, but we also know that God can choose to step in at any time and completely change what we had planned. So if the Lord wills, and I look at verse 15, I like how he says this. If the Lord wills, we will live. Because he understands that even our life is sustained by the sovereign hand of God. Your heart beating right now, the blood pumping through your heart into your veins, your lungs pumping the oxygen. Every muscle, every organ, every cell in your body that is living and functioning to keep you alive this very second is under the sovereign hand of Almighty God. And so that is grace. And that is an example of the sovereignty of God sustaining our very breath. We have no control over this. It is God who controls life. So that is why, like he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. Not just we'll have a job, not just we'll travel, not just we'll make money. So let's start from square one. If it is God's will, we will live another day. And live in. Living in light of God's sovereignty also means that same truth that we pray for the elderly, that if God gives you another day to live and you wake up tomorrow with that alarm and you wish that alarm would just be destroyed because you don't want to go to work, the fact that you have been awakened for another day is a clear sign of God's sovereignty in your life that his purposes for your life are not finished yet. And so we trust him and we live in light of God's sovereignty. So if the Lord wills, we will live even our days we entrust him. We don't know how long we will be around, but God does. We do not know how long our family members, our spouses, our children, our parents, our grandparents will be around for, but God does. 
And so we trust him. We pray, we plan, we live with this heart attitude. Again, planning is okay. It's not a sin to plan, but how you plan, why you plan may be. So the attitude that James is asking us to have is, God, I want to do your will. I want to honor you with my life, with my tomorrow. So God, guide me so that I can honor you. Because you see, the heart of an atheist is evidenced not only by the absence of God, because even Christians can have a heart of an atheist. It is not only marked by the absence of God in our planning, but an absence of prayer. A lack of dwelling in the presence of God as we plan. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands guard in vain. So unless the Lord guides, provides, protects, then our efforts are in vain. So the wise person will include God in this process of life, planning, and living. James 4.16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. To boast about your tomorrow, your future promotion, your future job in a different city, to boast of your tomorrows without the acknowledgement of God, he calls evil. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So boasting about our plans and our lives as if God does not exist, it is evil. And when we know what we need to do, and that is to prayerfully plan and live our lives with faith in Christ, and we do not do that, he says that is sin. That is the sin of omission. Did you know there is both, you could sin by breaking a command when God says don't steal and you steal, but also we sin when he says love and forgive and we choose not to do those things. That is the sin of omission. And so we need to learn to live humbly in light of God's sovereignty. And that is wisdom. And there's a third path, a third way for us to live and walk in wisdom. To live uh, with the end in mind. And that is to give in light of our accountability. So everyone repeat, give in light of our accountability. All right, James chapter 5, verse 1 and following. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver had corroded, and your corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Wow, those are some harsh words from James. But based on the language here, uh, filled with references to hell, Eating your flesh like fire, uh, not very encouraging. Uh, it is clear that he is not talking to believers, but he is addressing non-believers who are taking advantage of Christian workers. That's most likely the audience that has now shifted in his targeting here. So he's saying, weep because you're about to meet your maker and you have put your trust in your money and wealth instead of the Lord. And so he's saying, the treasure of your life has been in the wrong things. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James 5, 4, behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your field, which 
You kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So we hear echoes of Cain's murdering, uh, murder of his brother Abel in Genesis when it says that the blood of Abel was crying out for justice. You see, when God's people cry out in Scripture, it is usually for deliverance or for justice. And so this is an example here that there is a great injustice that has happened. The rich have hoarded their wealth while heading to hell. Look at verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So they have lived in selfishness and self-indulgent and luxury. And do you know what this is really pointing us to? Echoes of another Old Testament passage. It is, we are hearing echoes of Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, which speaks of Sodom, the city of Sodom. Do you know why God destroyed the city of Sodom? You know, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, You might be thinking, it's not because of the homosexuality. You might be like, hey, don't we use that term, he sodomized that other guy? I mean, isn't that why clearly God destroyed that city? Actually, it's not. It's not because of the homosexual. It's not because of the, uh, the adultery. It's not because of the prostitution. What does Ezekiel 16, 49 reveal about why God destroyed Sodom? Listen to the word of God. This is what he says. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Wow. Did you know that's why God destroyed that city? They had pride. They had excess. They had an abundance of food. They were prospering so much in wealth that their life was easy, prosperous ease. And not only that, it says, they did not aid the poor and the needy. That is the sin that led to the destruction of a city. Wow. And remember what we learned a few weeks ago, the reason why God blesses us with more than we need is so that we can meet the needs of others. And this is a key truth that we learn in this passage as well. What this passage also makes very clear is that prosperity and wealth are not signs of God's favor. Contrary to a lot of teaching these days, Prosperity and wealth are not signs of God's favor upon a life. Do you know what is a sign of God's favor? Wisdom to use prosperity and wisdom and wealth as God intended, that is a sign of God's favor. How do we know that prosperity and wealth? Come on, Eddie, I hear this all the time. That's a sign of God's favor, isn't it? If you're rich, you're wealthy, that means God's blessing you, right? No. You want proof? 
the leader of North Korea is one of the wealthiest people in the world. Wealth is not a sign of God's favor. If he were to somehow use his billions to feed the poor, not just in his own country, but around the world, if we all of a sudden started hearing from tonight stories of him using his wealth to build up homes for the homeless, feed the poor, rescue the oppressed, that's when we know God's favor is starting to crack in there because he is now using wealth as God intended. That is the sign of God's favor. And like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the thief, who stole so much money from people when he encountered Jesus. Before he met Jesus, he was wealthy, but he was not blessed by God. But when he met Jesus, when he had a true encounter with Jesus, then what did he say? I will pay back everyone I did wrong, and if if I stole from anyone, I will give back multiple folds. That is a sign of God's favor upon his life. He now knows the purpose of why God blessed his life in this short time period. That is wisdom. You see, James is speaking to the wealthy in that community. They were rich, but they were also wretched in the sight of God. It is using wealth to bless the nations, to bless the needy. That is a sign of God working in a life with favor. Amen? We will all be held accountable before God for the ways that we have used His wealth and His resources that He has blessed our lives with. All that we have comes from Him. All that we have is for Him. So the wise person will give in light of the accountability that we will face one day of having to give an account for all the wealth and resources that God has given into our lives. The wise person will give in light of our accountability. And when we live with the end in mind, it will help us make wise choices. You know, one of the ways that God taught me the reality of this truth uh, was was in December of 2004. I was leading a short-term mission team from uh, Sydney uh, to Thailand. We were finishing up our trip and heading to an island for debriefing, as we usually do uh, at the tail end of our trip. And uh, while we were heading to the boat, uh, because we were going to go to a very small island that one of my friends, he was functioning as my interpreter, uh, he knew of a very secluded small island, and he's like, this, your team is going to love it. They'll be able to really just worship God, reflect, journal on your past couple weeks in Thailand. It'll be great. And so while we were driving to the dock, uh, to the boat area, uh, my friend receives a phone call from the boat company saying, please do not come here. There's a bad storm. Uh, we're not sending any boats uh, for the rest of the day uh, until we figure out what's happening with the storm. And so it was a surprise change in our plans, but what can we do? So he's like, see, he's saying, he's saying they're not going to send any boats. A very big, dangerous storm is here, so please don't come. And so we had to make a pit stop uh, and spend the night somewhere else. And so we stopped into this motel. And uh, as we were checking into the motel, every single motel worker, their eyes were glued to the TV because uh, it wasn't a storm It was the tsunami 
that hit. In fact, uh, that tsunami wiped out a big part of Southeast Asia, as you probably do remember, but it also completely wiped out the island that we were supposed to go to. Not one person survived on that small island. And so it stopped me in my tracks, obviously, when reality hit me. And I realized that if we went to the island just two hours, two, three hours earlier, or if the tsunami hit just two or three hours later, my whole team and I would be dead. And I realized the mystery of God's sovereignty in that moment. Why are we saved and yet thousands were not? You know, eyewitnesses of the tsunami throughout Southeast Asia, especially when they were at the beach, uh, where we would have been, uh, they told of how right before the huge waves hit the land, that the water receded back deep into the heart of the ocean at very low levels because it was getting ready to suction back out once again. And when I heard about and I read about and studied what exactly was a tsunami because I didn't even know back then, I realized that I would have totally walk deep into the heart of the ocean. I was like, oh my goodness, look how low the tide is. And I probably would have invited my teammates to come along too. Look at this shit, let's go, let's go. Let's see how far we can go. And we probably would have been wiped out and dead within minutes of the wave. But instead, we are alive. Why? I do not know. For the... Remainder of the days there, we ended up donating blood and volunteering for the Red Cross at the tail end of our trip. I don't know why God saved me and our team. Of course, I'm thankful. But He showed me very clearly that day that He is sovereign over every hour, over every storm, over every detail of my life. And the reason why I say that this is a hard truth, because for those of you who are like, that's not a hard truth, that's nice, that's great, God's sovereign. The reason why I say this is a hard truth is because I'm speaking on behalf of those of us in this room who have suffered deeply. Your innocence was stolen from you. A life was taken from you. Your world shattered. And it is so hard to know why. And I do not know why God allowed it. But two things I do know is that when your heart breaks, God's heart. And the other truth that I do know that Scripture is clear about is that He is sovereign, though we do not understand why loved ones are taken from us, 
we do not know why innocence is taken from us. But what that points us to is the fallenness of mankind in a sin-cursed world. And my desire is that you will not grow in your hatred towards God because He is sovereign and supreme and have allowed that to happen. You will grow in your hatred towards sin that cursed this fallen world that allowed sin and death to enter to cause brokenness and pain and loss. That is where our hatred should be directed towards. I do not know why God saved our team during the tsunami of 2004 by a couple of hours and thousands of other people died. And before you get all smug saying, see, Eddie, you're on the benefit side of that sovereignty. No, I also do not know why other babies live and my daughter died. I do not know. But in the midst of the mystery of God's sovereignty, it is clear that we are in a fallen, sin-cursed world and in desperate need of a Savior. And that is why Jesus Christ came in the form of a baby so that we might be delivered and saved and have hope one day that all the pain and all the loss and all the brokenness would be healed and restored and redeemed by the power of the cross. That is one thing I do know. I thought a lot about what if just some of our team members died and what if I survived? How do I explain what happened to their parents? I thought about that. Because when I lead a team, I always get in the mindset that I need to be ready to die for my team members. I always need to be ready for that as their shepherd, as their leader. And so I thought about that. How do I respond? I thought a lot about what if I died that day? It was a strong reality check for me to always be ready to die and to not fear it. And since that day, the two most powerful moments that I had to face death was, number one, the reality that I just missed dying by a couple of hours. That was my first encounter. And the second encounter was when my daughter died because I fought for her life and I feared her death. That is the last thing I wanted. But since that day, and since I faced, at least in my world, my greatest fear, I have chosen to live my life with the end in mind. And as a result of that, I can honestly say, I can honestly stay, say before you today, number one, I am always 
ready to die. If I die right now, I can be at peace because I know that I gave my life for the Lord and I did my best for him. I can honestly say that. I can die at any second now from now on and I'll be okay. Number two, I no longer fear anything anymore. I don't fear anything anymore. Why? Because my life has been bought with the blood of Christ and I am in his hands forever. And as a result, since those days, I've always strived to live my life fully for Jesus and for his glory. Why? Why did I strive to do that? Because my life has been bought with the blood of Christ and my life is in his hands forever. How are you living your life today? Are you ready to die right now? Sorry, I'm not, that's not a threat. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't have people in the back. Are you ready to die right now? If not, why not? Are you living with fear or living with faith? knowing that our awesome God is in control and in the end we will be with Him. That is good news. Faith in Christ and in His sovereignty will result in courageous living for Him. And what we need in this hour are men and women of faith who will live with the end in mind, knowing that this life is short and must be lived well for him with boldness, courage, faith, and faithfulness, knowing that our lives and our souls are forever in his hands. Therefore, we have absolutely nothing to fear ever again. That is wisdom that comes from living with the end in mind. Let's pray. Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you longing to meet your maker? If you are not ready to die today, let's get ready. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have never surrendered your sins to Jesus, let's do that now. Place your hand over your heart as a symbol of your whole life and give it to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. Do not waste these small dots upon the eternal line. Live it for the Lord. Surrender your sins, surrender your past, surrender your present, surrender your future to the Lord. For those of you who have suffered deeply, unfairly, know that God's heart weeps over you and weeps with you.
for those who have been abused deeply, who have suffered tragic loss. You did not cry alone those nights. There's a Father in heaven who weeps with those who weep because He loves you. And He too is longing for the day of redemption, longing for the day when Christ His Son will return to make all things right again. And that is the day that we are longing for. That is the day that we are running for. That is why we do missions so that He can return and that we will go home. So let's come before the Lord today and let's give Him our hearts. Let's give Him the pains, the disappointments, the sorrows, and the loss. God is here. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God is here right now. The Holy Spirit is called a counselor, a comforter, and that is what He desires to be for you today, right now. To comfort you to strengthen you, to love you, to hold you, to weep with you even today. So let's give the Lord our hearts and our hurts. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just release your power to heal hearts in this place right now. That you would continue to wash the wounds with your powerful words and truth of who you are. That almighty God You are sovereign and in control. And God, we do not understand your ways many times. We do not know why you have allowed certain things to happen or certain things not to happen. God, we do not know. But in the midst of the mystery, we declare that we trust you, that we love you, that we'll follow after you no matter what. That though our world may fall apart, we will never let you go. Because when our world falls apart, you have never let us go. So I pray for wisdom to grow in this place that we will live our short lives well for you, for the kingdom, and for your glory and your name's renown. Pray for wisdom to grow in this place. The fear of the Lord to grow in this place. For courage to grow in this place. For faith to strengthen in this place. For boldness and faith 
to lead the way. Now may the Lord bless you with that wisdom, with that faith, and with that courage. May the Lord bless you and keep you close to his heart through every storm and every trial. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the face of glory shine through you into this broken world. And may God use you to draw many broken people to the healer of our souls. May he be gracious to you and merciful for all the days of your life. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, hope, faith, and courage until Christ returns. In Jesus' name, amen.